Welcome to On The Brink, a fresh lens to take your business to new heights and to take you with it. My job, as you know, is to take you off the brink. I'm Andy Simon, and I'm your host and your guide. And my job is to help you see, feel, and think in new ways, open your mind, give you a new lens, so that the things that you're doing now, you can take to the next stage or level, or maybe even start to do some new things that you have thought about but haven't really mastered. So I have with us today Doug Brown, and Doug is a master at teaching people how to sell, build a sales process, hire the right salespeople, and has turned many, many, many organizations into highly successful ones. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, and then he's going to tell you about his own journey. I love the fact he writes, he started working for his family business at the age of three. And I laugh because I started working at my family business at the age of three. I'm sure I was putting shirts on the racks with my grandmother in a retail family firm in New York City. And I learned a lot there. And I have a hunch he did, too. He's built over 35 companies and he's traveled to 47 of the 50 states and 14 countries. He's consulted, coached, advised and trained thousands of people in business. Some have included Enterprise Rent-A-Corp, Nationwide, Procter & Gamble. I'll tell you a little more about it. But he's also creating a sales revenue growth university that's coming out in 2022. And I'm, I'm going to time this podcast launch to really be promotional around that time. And he's going to teach the best sales revenue growth strategies to companies who are serious about the sales growth. Now, sales is an interesting word because I help organizations see, feel, and think in new ways, how to change. And Doug is going to call you, talk to you today about how to think about sales, not as telling, but as something that is really embraced and something people enjoy doing and something that grows the business. So, Doug, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me here. Uh, I'd like to first start out by teaching people something that a lot of people overlook, which is you announced yourself as Andy, if I heard you correctly, Andy Simpson, right, Simon, and on the screen is the word Andrea. That's correct. So a lot of times people overlook these type of things and it breaks rapport right from the beginning. So you prefer to be addressed as Andy or Andrea? Well, I'm both. And so your question or your showing me something is something I know and I do intentionally. My name is Andrea Simon, but I go by Andy. My husband's Andy and he's Andrew. And so we play with the names a lot. And I leave it on the screen there because this is Andrea Simon, but this is also Andy Simon. And I bet you're Douglas, aren't you? Yeah, I, I, well, only with my mother when she's upset with me. So most people go by Doug. <laughs> so. And I can think of all kinds of stuff. But thank you for the little insight. Why don't you tell the listeners about your own journey? That's always fun. Yeah, yeah I did. I did at age three start working with my father. Uh, and my dad had an electric motor machinery repair company. So I was literally sweeping the floors of the company at age three for 25 cents a week. And I, I loved it. You know, I got to go hang out with my dad. I, I got to hang out with the family. It was a family run business. Um, there were about um, 11 employees, sometimes a little bit more. Um, and it was just a great experience. I got to travel and hear things. And what we don't realize is when we're children is a lot of the lessons that we learn, as you were alluding to in the business, you hear conversations and you start picking up things. By the age of five and a half, they, they literally thrust us out in front of clients and we would help write orders and we would, you know, my, my grandparents were there. And, and, and so, you know, when I didn't know what I was doing, they would show me what was going on. And the people behind the counter thought it was uh, kind of cute, you know, to have this little kid there. 
all my brothers went through the same process. I have three brothers and I still don't know. I didn't, my dad died when he was 73 and I'd never asked him this question, uh, you know, was this by design or did you just need low cost labor, you know, at the time? <laughs> um, but I learned a lot from that business. I learned a lot about inventory. I learned about selling. I learned about leverage, working leverage in a business. Um, I learned some bad things. My dad built the business on his back and, you know, he, uh, at one point, it, you know, 18 years later, he came and said, I'm, I, I'm quitting. I can't take it. And I'm like, you've got a millions of dollars sitting here. Right. And he's just like, I can't take it anymore. So there's a lot of things I learned from that. And I still carry with me today. Well, but you know, Doug, I learned, I often wanted to write a book, what I learned at my grandmother's knee, or maybe it was around the dinner table, but the conversations had a blend. People talk about life, work, blend, life, work, balance. My, my life was all the same. And I never quite figured out how you break life and work because I enjoyed the life of work. And the things that we learned, my mother used to take me into the market to buy fashion clothes for the business. I once asked my grandmother, how do you know what to buy? And she said, well, Andrea, that was Andrea, one third is going to sell fine. One third is going to sell on sale. And one third is going to walk out the door. And after we blend it right, we'll make a nice living at this. And so mm -hmm. I learned a lot. I also learned that I didn't want to take over the business. So I became an anthropologist and I never looked back. But I remember the conversations. They were all very interesting. And we did learn a lot about business. So how did you get from there into growing into a sales maven here where you really understand selling and how to train other people? Well, like, like so many people, at least in, I will say, more in my age bracket or, you know, um, cause I'm 59. I mean, we grew up with the, with the lessons of, you know, work for yourself, but also with the duality of get a good education so you can have a good job at a good company. Mm -hmm. So I was in the military and when I got out of the military, <clears throat> I had the GI bill and I decided, well, you know, to be successful, I've got to have college degrees. So I went and got one in business. Then I got another one in biology and I got another one in nuclear medicine. And, um, and I came out of the nuclear medicine degree thinking, wow, you know, I'll, I'll go on to be a doctor. But when I got into the hospital and I started working, it was way different than I thought it was going to be. And what I realized was through college, I was selling music equipment to a lot of very famous bands, even famous bands today, like Aerosmith and the Eagles and Billy Joel's band and others. And I looked at my numbers and I said, geez, I was making three times what I was making in the hospital. <laughs> and, and so, it, you know, my brain kicked in thinking back to my entrepreneurial roots. And I said, you know what? I, I, uh, I think I'll give this sales thing a, a try. So I went and worked for a, a major corporation. Uh, they were called Paytech Communications. And I started this telecommunications consulting business on the side. And in my first year, I uh, more than doubled my income from music sales. And then in my second year, I was on my way to do uh, a very high six-figure income in sale selling. I was the number one sales guy out of uh, 315 uh, salespeople in the company. And during that time, I actually was supporting certain industries. And one of them was the training industry. I don't know how it really came about. It was the referral, I believe. And during that time that the, the uh, training companies would say to me, hey, you know, you'd be a really good coach or a really good, you know, and I said to them, 
geez, I used to play some semi-professional soccer. Maybe I could coach in soccer. And they'd be like laughing, going, no, 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 not that type of coach, a business coach. And I'd be literally saying things like, what is that? Because we never had that growing up. Yeah. Um, and so they told me. And so I started pursuing that. So it was all kind of by mistake. And then I helped a man named Jake Conrad Levinson. Uh, he wrote a series of books called Guerrilla Marketing. Yeah. And I helped his company. And he introduced me to a man named Chet Holmes, who wrote a book called The Ultimate Sales Machine. And I, I approached Chet's company, uh, applied their stuff, doubled my company revenue. So I went back to Chet's company. I said, geez, you know what? I, I can get behind this and, and teach it. You know, I think I'd be a good coach for you. They gave me an opportunity. I was their number one coach in the first six months. I was uh, outperforming their coaches by three to one. Um, and so that caught their attention. All I was doing, Andy was applying sales skills to the, to the process because what I learned early on was we're not in the business of what we think we're in. My dad wasn't in the electric motor business. We were in the business of client acquisition so that we could fix their motors or fix their machinery. Yeah. And the same for coaches or consultants. They're not in that business. They're in the business of client acquisition. So I was just applying those type of sales strategies to the process. Eventually, what happened with Chet's company is they started recognizing that, geez, why don't you teach the coaches what you're doing? And then why don't you train the trainers on what you're doing? And I did. And literally, um, his close rate went up 62.5% right, across his whole company. So that he started growing. And then a man named Tony Robbins came along, decided he wanted to buy into the company. Uh, so I ended up becoming Tony's president of training and sales and Chet's uh, tandem for seven years. and the company just kept growing. So once I was there, people sort of got my name and recognized who I was. And that's kind of how it all took off. And, you know, I started working with major companies, lots, thousands of smaller, medium-sized companies. And I just kept honing the craft, but it happened by accident, really. No, it happened by design. I'm a true believer in serendipity because your whole story is a lot of serendipity, isn't it? It wasn't you planned on Tony Robbins and you didn't plan, but, but, you know, you were, smart enough to see possibilities, grabbed the hold and turned the story, it's your story, and turned it from one thing to the next thing and next thing you know, because you didn't even think of yourself in selling musical equipment when you were in college as being a career. It was something you were doing. You had fun. You made money. And those little moments are extremely important. But for our listeners, your story is a wonderful setup. So how do how do you help people either sell better, find the superstars, or do the kind of uh, skills that you think are essential to acquire and retain? I mean, I've had clients for three and four years now, and they're my favorite clients. I love every new one, but I do love them when they hang around for a long time. And they make life a different conversation than uh, the early stage relationships, because we're basically collaborators. You know, we're enablers, facilitators, and the problems they have are things I might be able to solve or not. But together, we can do better than either of us alone. And so that's how we get hired. And we hire them over a pain, which is I got to change. And I don't know how. And that's usually a big issue because the brain hates change. It hates me. But once we get going, it seems to fall in love for a while. So how, how can you help our audience think about selling perhaps with a new, fresh perspective? I think you said the key word, which is collaboration. Yes. Right? So too many people in sales think they're trying to sell something to somebody. And too many buyers in sales are thinking they're going to be sold too. <laughs> it's true. Right? So it's really about 
you know, there was an old title of a book and I took the title actually in my book called win-win selling, Mm -hmm. right? Mine's unlocking the profitability and, you know, by resolving objections. And I wrote it on a specific subject, but the, the reality is that especially with what was happening now or, or has been happening through time. And now, I mean, 20 years ago, I used to tell people, listen, this internet's going to change sales forever. And they say, you're crazy. And I'd be like, no, think about it. Right. I mean, with the click of a button, you can know more information than the actual seller. <laughs> and so before companies were able to keep that information and use that as leverage to create sales. Now you're going to know that information. So it kind of levels everything out. And I believe 20 years ago that it's all going to go to collaboration and it's all going to go to how you actually bond and treat the person as a person, as much as the professional ROI, they're looking for a personal ROI. Yes. Well, but it's true. And I had Lisa McLeod here talking about purpose-driven sales. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those who have purpose do far better than those who don't have purpose. It's not a product you're selling. It's how do I help them? What is it I'm giving to them? So are there some key things that you focus on as you're, because you're, you're, you're I, I couldn't agree more with your comments. I'm anxious to give our listeners a little bit of five things you should think about or three things that Doug wants you to remember. Well, the first one should be right fit client. Ah, that's perfect. I, yeah, so that that's where a lot of people drop the ball. So, you know, traditional sales would teach people, listen, go make 100, 150 cold calls a day. You know, you'll get 10 people who respond to you. Five will say something. You'll get two or three appointments a day. Fill your calendar with that, right? And that, that works. It's just a really hard way of doing it. It's hard on the sales team. It's hard on the, on the client. Um, and, you know, that would be that. But if I said, listen, what if we took a, a, a list of 300 people a year that were the ideal fit for that client. And then you built relationships over the time and you close 20% of them or 30% of them, but they were the right fit client. Now a right fit client will pay way more than just an out of the run mill conversation, right? So when we look at that and we look at right fit client, a couple of things happen. One, the client doesn't feel pressured as like they would when we're trying to persuade them to actually get an appointment because they're, you know, we're, 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 we're selling fencing. They're looking for sword lessons, but we're selling picket fences, right? That's kind of what happens. Uh-huh. Um, so the client's going to feel much more engaged in the process. Number two, the salesperson will also feel more highly engaged and involved in the process. And this is where the magic happens, right? This is where the rapport gets built. This is where you have long-term clients. I mean, I've had clients for, you know, over a decade, you know, just call me back. And the reason behind that is they're the right fit client. So that's the first place I, I tell people, look, let's talk about what a right fit client is for you, because a lot of people are spending so much money on marketing where they really don't need to spend that much. Yeah. And what happens? So they generate a ton of leads, ton of leads, ton of leads. They have a sales team and the sales team is cherry picking the top, you know, um, I'm in Florida right now. So yesterday we took a, a walk through a, a garden and they had all these fruit trees and the, there was a pomelo tree and my daughter loves pomelos. I like them too. And so, but they were so heavy. They were just dropping right to the ground. The, the branches were leaning over and the pomelos were on the ground. 
And she goes, wow, low hanging fruit. <laughs> but when you, when, you get the, when you get the right fit client and you have a lot of them, then there's a lot of low hanging fruit. And so you, you magically get sales this way, right? I think the other thing is assess where you are. You know, like a lot of, a lot of teams are not assessing where they are today. And sales is not changed. The way we conduct sales has changed. A big thing for companies right now is, you know, how do I get a hold of people? Because before we could stop in at their location, we could do, you know, whatever it was. And now it's like, well, social media probably <laughs> work better or, you know, some type of, but the reality is cold calling still works if you know what to do, <clears throat> right? It, yeah. It's just changed. So let's take an assessment of where we are. Let's assess the sales team. Let's assess their ability you know, a lot of times people have team members on their teams that are good in other positions, but not in the position they're in. And um, I remember I worked with a, a, a well-known television company with three letters um, and uh, was one of the major three when we were growing up. <laughs> and, uh, and they were frustrated with their sales team. And they asked me to take a look. And I did. And I said, guys, they're selling like they did back in 1950. Mm -hmm. Right. They're the top down sales team. And, you know, you can't do that anymore. There's too many buying choices now for clientele. So we had to teach them a new way of selling. Um, and that's what happens. Sometimes they have and some people had to go because they just couldn't adapt to the new ways. You know, technology's changed everything. And now a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us. And we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled, or an individual in that organization who's looking to rethink their own life's journey, Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled, and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens reignite their growth, and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings, and the brick walls and become the best that they could be. They heard things like women aren't lawyers and women can't lead and women aren't in geosciences. And they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back, and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at andysimon.com and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books, and you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves, very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now, back to our podcast. Well, I was going to ask you to flip this around because we're HubSpot partners and we preach the buyer's journey has changed. Sure. Um, I had a... Um, a different illustration, but I had a wonderful client in Texas and his sales guys were finding that people weren't 
old old buyers that used to do business with them all the time were picking up the phone. So I said, well, let's see what's changed. And so the buyers who they had had all retired. And the 35-year-olds who had taken their slots said to me, well, we don't answer the phone. And so he said, well, they don't answer the phone. What am I going to do with my salespeople? (laughs) I said, you got the problem backwards. He doesn't buy that way. That person on the other side now goes online and talks to, looks at forums, talks to others, looks at reviews, has a whole different buyer's journey. Yes. And, and you have a, an old website that looks like a brochure. And yes. if they come, he said, oh, they come to the website, but they go off. I said, yes, they do. And you're not looking at Google Analytics that'll tell you what people are interested in and what they are coming to your website for and falling off. And your sales guys can't answer any of those questions because nobody gets far enough along the sales process to even ask them. So the whole dynamic is backwards. And that buyer's journey, it's changing and changing again, even after you know, the pandemic has changed lots of stuff. And, sure. and so you now need to open up your mind. We also had another client in the roofing and house wrap industry, and uh, he refused to look at what Amazon was doing. I said, well, just take a look at your competition. They were all selling with Amazon stores at higher prices with good margins. And he said, well, you know, how come? I say, because they drop ship to the guy who needs it when he needs it. And he pays with his credit card and it changes the whole buying process. So your sales guys never see that. But the buyer is right there for you. So Mm -hmm. if nothing else, figure out who is buying it and see how to cultivate it. But that requires different listening skills. And I do preach a lot of listening. Listen to what people are talking about. Watch what they're actually doing. You know, as an anthropologist, I take my clients out to watch. I say, just watch and see how they buy and see what they're doing. And then begin to see how you fit into their whole ecosystem. So I have a hunch you preach some of the same things, huh? I do. And part of the right fit client is doing all the data research prior to, right? Determining who the right fit client is and, and then justifying it and validating it with sources like Amazon and other sources. And this is where a lot of people miss out because they, they, they have so much industry knowledge that they assume they know what their buyer wants and they assume that they know how the buyer wants to buy, which goes back to your customer journey. And, you know, which really comes to my third thing, which is messaging, because if we don't understand how they want to buy, mm-hmm. how, in what capacity, what is the process for them now that's normal? Like you said, 35, I don't pick the phone up anymore, right? My daughters are 20 and 22. And they're like, anytime someone calls me, I know they're over 40. That's what they call me. <laughs> they're probably trying to sell me something too. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, you know, messaging is so important because it's not the language we want to use that's important. It's the language that they want to identify with that there's their buying persona. Yep. And there's something called buyer's bias which is we tend to sell the way we want to be sold to. And that doesn't work real well. Well, but we also are very limited in our willingness to look at others with my fresh lens mantra. Um, Because we assume, as you said, that they do what we think they should do or how we think they should do it. 
And very often we're mistaken completely because it's not the, the right fit for us or the right match in some fashion. With the buyer doing so much self-selection, how do you keep salespeople optimistic that there is a real need for them still? Because I've been watching some who say, I don't know what my purpose is. You know, the cold calling, the buyer's buying, they're buying in a different way with better ROI on it and having a live person. Your thoughts? Well, I think, again, it goes back to collaboration. So we have to shift what we're, we think our role is as a salesperson. Our salesperson is to help the other person, you know, accomplish what they're looking for. Yes. And we get compensated for that and they get what they want. Really, that's the role of a salesperson. And quite frankly, it always was if you wanted to be a really good salesperson. Yes. Um, and I think that, you know, the the, oh, geez, the, I can't get a hold of people anymore. I can't do this or I can't do that. That's really just a matter of function of changing the process on how to get a hold of people. You know, like, for example, cold calling. You're, you're not going to get them in the afternoon most of the time, unless it's a certain time frame. But you will get them, most of the CEOs if you go in after them between 6 and 8 a.m. Yes. Right? So, but we're not used to, we, we get into work at 8 o'clock in the morning. Well, they don't. <laughs> and they don't answer their phone at that point, you know, up to a certain time in the day. Be surprised how many uh, how many CEOs you can get on the phone on a Saturday. So if we want to utilize those traditional methods that, you know, some of us grew up with, then we have to, because of how they want to perform, how they want to buy, we have to adapt to those type of things or we're not going to get the results. It's that simple. Well, you can preach that a lot. But I sometimes tell people that if you want to change, have a crisis or create one. And what I do think that the sales process today is not quite a crisis, but it's facing some serious challenges. Is that just my observation or are you seeing the same things? No, I think it, it faces some, some uh, you know, and I always found that to resolve a problem before it gets to a crisis, you remove the cause of the problem, not the problem itself. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if we remove the cause, therefore, the problem usually goes away. So what's the cause? Right. Um, and. It's definitely, you know, for many, many people selling who are used to selling a certain way, it's like it's the difference between driving an automatic vehicle and a stick shift. Yes, it is. <laughs> really, it's, it's not like we're going to a whole new vehicle. It's not like going from an automobile to an airplane. Now, some people make it look like you're going from an automobile to a submarine because they don't know what to do and they, they hyperinflate what the issue is. But the reality is it's a small shift in what we were already doing, but we have to go toward, as we were saying before, what the buyer is looking for in the communication modes and understand there's two different communication modes that they like. One is their discovery process and they have a dominant style, right? It might be you know, they, they, they like to hear or they like to see or they like to be um, kinesthetic on that. And their discovery process is that. But on their buying decision, that can change. Sure. So yeah. we want to understand that and be able to come in and out of those modes when we're communicating with somebody. You know, Doug, one of my favorite clients is LK. And LK dominates the water fountain industry. And they hired us to help them because they had developed an innovative new filler station that I'm sure you've seen to fill water bottles without touching them. It fills automatically. And the problem was that they were selling it through their traditional sales channel, through manufacturers, reps, to building owners, facility managers, engineers, hoping to put it on top of those, you know, by code water fountains. 
Mm-hmm. They hired us because it wasn't being sold. People weren't buying. And it was award-winning, and it was perfect, and it was easy, and had a filter. And so we took a look at who, in fact, was buying it. And I'll tell you the moral of my story in one moment. But the folks buying it weren't any of their traditional buyers. It was colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. And when I contacted them to find out what they were using them for, what they thought about them, they said, oh, well, you know, yeah, I know we can fill the bottle, but mm, we're really interested in killing the bottle. We don't want to put any more plastic bottles into landfill. So I went back and I said to them, you know, your messaging, your whole system here through your manufacturers, reps, et cetera, is as if you're selling an add-on to the water fountain to make it easier to fill bottles that most folks couldn't care less about unless you're going through an airport. Your universities want to do it to kill the bottle. And the room went, and they said, how'd you find that out? I said, well, just listen to what they were telling you about why they were buying it. They said to me, we want to kill the bottle. And one of the women said, a marketing person, that's why I get all these college students emailing me about how can they get this filler station on their campus? And I delete the emails. And you're at, well, it's not the first delete. I can tell you lots of those stories. But the thing that's interesting about it was that they had that epiphany, like your own, and they hired new young people right out of college to hit the college campuses. And the next time I went back to work with them to help reinvent the kitchen sink, about 20% of their billion dollars was coming through those filler stations and all of the refillable helper HEPA filters in there. But Mm -hmm. the, the moral to the story was, if you just step back and watch what's actually happening and how things are being bought, what they're using them for, you can learn a whole lot about how to take your sales process and amplify it. And, and really maximize it. If you're just thinking the way you sit in your office and think about it, you have all kinds of messages going on out there. Go go hang out, be an anthropologist. Go take a look at what's really happening as opposed to what you're imagining is happening. And don't right. be angry at those manufacturers' reps. They're trying hard. And the buyers, don't be angry at them either. They don't really need your thing. They haven't figured out why they should spend more money on a water fountain that doesn't add any code. You know. So and any thoughts on your on my thoughts? Because I haven't I, I, seen this. I think you're a hundred percent on the you know head of the nail. Uh, on this one, because the reality is, especially a lot of people online, they they don't do this, right? They they assume, and online or offline, you can't assume anymore. You we you know, it's the old analogy: if you want to understand being a parent, be a parent, right? Take care of a child. Imagine. <laughs> so. I'm watching our time as much as I'm enjoying the conversation and our lives crisscross in different kinds of ways. But, you know, one or two things you want our audience to remember, because, as you know, people remember the ending even better than the beginning. I I think the first thing is is in 2022, because we're getting close to the end of the year here. Right. It's about massive prospecting in the right way. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't like to hear this because they go, oh, my gosh, you know what I mean? I got to really get out there and be different, right? Not differentiated anymore. That doesn't work as well as being different. So massive prospecting to me is finding in 2022 seven new ways to go get clients. (laughs) Testing themselves, right? And because here's the thing, the master prospector always will outsell the master closer. It's been true through my whole career, you know, 40 years doing this. And 
working with salespeople, the master prospector will always outsell the master closer because they just have so many more opportunities. So that would be one of the things that I would leave people with, you know, that we didn't talk about early on is make 2022 the prospecting year, because if you want to see your revenues go up and, and, and those type of things, just get out there and, 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 you know, not all seven are going to work. That's the other thing. So expect some probably won't. But the reality is if you had four out of seven that worked, you know, on an A rating, <laughs> you're really going to have a good lift in your business. Well, and I, I would I hope you might add the emotional blocks for people, because what you're basically talking about is talk to people, talk to people, talk to people. Right. And keep pushing out there and listen, listen, listen. Um, are there a couple of emotional blocks that you like to overcome that mm, I would love to leave our listeners with just to help them get past it? Yeah, I think I, so. In I'm going to plug my book here, you know, Win-Win Selling, Unlocking the Power of Profitability by Resolving Objections. That goes through the whole psychology and philosophy of why, what are objections really when they come down to. And a lot of them are emotional blocks. So to understand frames of ourself and the potential buyers is a key thing to releasing emotional blocks because we all have emotional blocks. We all grew up a certain way. We were all taught by mom, dad, preacher, teacher, whoever, you know, that this is the way we're supposed to live and we're habituated in that behavior. And we carry those things forward, whether they're serving or not. (laughs) <laughs> and so those things create these emotional blocks or, you know, uh, or what I call emotional locks because they lock onto somebody and, you know, it could be, they grew up in a family of negotiators. Right. And I've seen this happen in sales. Uh, one time I kicked somebody under the table, literally because the CEO of the company said, yeah, we're good to go. Let's do this. You know, send over the, you know, the agreement and we'll have it countersigned and signed and sent back to you tomorrow morning. And the person couldn't help themselves. They went, oh, they started negotiating. And I literally kicked them under the table. And (laughs) That's a great story. What's a great story to end us with? If they want to read your book uh, or, you know, find out more about your university, where can they find it? Well, they can go to businesssuccessfactors.com. They can find me on LinkedIn at DougBrown1234 or send me an email at Doug at businesssuccessfactors.com. I have a couple of assistants, but, you know, we're always in communication and I'll answer everybody. Um, if they want my book, winwinsellingbook.com, or if they just go to Amazon and they can find it there. Uh, and the university, if they want to get onto the waiting list, uh, because we are going to limit the amount of people we take through this, um, because we're guaranteeing a two to one return off anything that they invest, that, um, you know, send me an email at Doug at businesssuccessfactors.com and, you know, we'll, we'll get on the waiting list. Super duper, super duper. So Doug Brown has been with us today to talk about amplifying your selling skills and enjoying every moment of it because it's much more fun to be successful at it. And prospectors do even better than closers and all kinds of interesting aha moments as we went through our half hour together. Um, For all of you who come, whether you're listening or you're viewing, thank you. And thank you from across the globe. I get beautiful emails from everywhere in the world. Um, We were just ranked in the top 5% of podcasts, which is pretty cool. And I'm honored because you, all my listeners and viewers, are the ones who enjoy. So send us ideas about who you'd like to hear. And my idea for you is pick up Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business or On the Brink. And my books are there to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. 
And it is really a great time as we're looking into the next 2022 to think about how to be the best you can be. And that's my job to help you. So get off the brink and let's have some fun. And thank you, Doug. Thank you for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Andy, here. I appreciate it.